Welcome to a special edition of Roto Underworld Radio. Once a year, we talk to Evan Silva about one team, one team only. Typically, that team is going in the wrong direction. Spoiler alert, this team we'll be talking about today is going in the wrong direction, and Evan is going to break down exactly how we got here and where it's going. Evan. Talk to me. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, you know, I think eventually we are going to get to a point where we, you know, have a, a positive discussion of an NFL team. And we have one team in mind, I know. Yes. And both of us are on the same page here. But this will be year four of the deep dive and the destruction of an organization. And this is a famed organization. This is an organization that has been around really since the inception of the NFL. And, um, I, I think we jump into it. The revered Hallis family founded this team a hundred years ago. Let's take them down. So the backstory of the Chicago Bears is a sad one in that they've started 39 different quarterbacks since their 1985 Super Bowl win. We know that quarterback is the most important and most impactful position in all of pro sports, and they have not gotten this right Um you know, almost whatsoever. In terms of recent history, the Bears have finished above 500 once in the last eight years. The Bears have a massive, loyal fan base in one of the three biggest cities in America. In 2020, Forbes listed the Bears as the NFL's seventh most valuable franchise at $3.53 billion. But incompetent, top-down decision-making is mainly to blame for the Bears' lack of on-field success. This really is the story of how things, quote-unquote, start at the top in the NFL and how ownership groups more concerned with making money or playing buddy-buddy and hiring their friends and keeping their friends employed rather than generating wins and losses so often leads to long-term underachievement, even when they have as many interior and exterior advantages as an organization like the Bears does. This is a theme. It seems that most of the franchises that we take down have this rot at their core. And the Bears have been bad for a long time. You said half-century quarterback drought. It's just mind-bending to think about. So this current regime, the general manager, Ryan Pace, he's entering his seventh year as general manager, and they have one winning season. How does he get away with this? So to answer that, we need to spin it back to when the McCaskey family, that's the Bears ownership group, hired Ryan Pace as general manager in 2015. The Bears are owned by Virginia McCaskey. She has been the principal owner for 38 years. She's 98 years old. Since 1999, that's 22 years now, the McCaskey family has entrusted football operations to a guy named Ted Phillips, whose official role is team president. Now, Ted Phillips is an accountant an accountant. He's not a football guy whatsoever. And his focus has been to keep the Bears franchise as profitable as possible with far less prioritization of actual wins and losses. And to, you know, so to an extent, Ted Phillips has succeeded in that role. Again, the Bears are valued at over 3.5 billion. There are some parallels here between the Bears and the Texans in that you have an aging matriarch who inherits the team and the person in charge of football operations, not a football person. Correct. Phillips' football background and, and knowledge are barely existent. Um, so I guess, I guess, to his credit, Ted Phillips realized this enough about himself, was self-aware enough to outsource 
the Bears GM and coaching search in 2015 after they fired Phil Emery and Mark Tressman to a guy named Ernie Accorsi. And in 2015, Ernie Accorsi orchestrated the Bears hiring of Ryan Pace and John Fox. So he's one of these consultants for hire that the old money will bring in to tell them who to hire and who to fire. Yeah, and this leads us directly into our annual cocoon discussion. Of course. Because Ernie Accorsi is at the forefront of the cocoon. Not just a cocoon not just a cocoon keeper, but a cocoon captain. <laughs> Ernie Accorsi worked as an NFL executive from 1970 through 1996, mainly for the Baltimore Colts and New York Giants. But since he's retired, Ernie Accorsi has been an internal NFL power broker. Ernie Accorsi got his buddy from the Giants, Dave Gettleman, the Panthers and Giants GM jobs. Over the past seven years combined, the Panthers and Giants under Dave Gettleman finished with winning records in two of seven seasons. Ernie Accorsi got Bob Quinn, the Lions general manager job in 2016. The Lions proceeded to go 32-47-1 under Bob Quinn with six wins or fewer in each of the last three years. Bob Quinn was fired after the 2020 season. And in 2015, Ernie Accorsi spearheaded the Bears general manager and head coaching search. Accorsi approached it hell-bent on getting his old pal John Fox, who was a coach from the Giants when Ernie Accorsi was the GM there, another head coaching job in a masterstroke of obvious cronyism. And together, John Fox and Ernie Accorsi settled on Ryan Pace as GM. So they hire Ryan Pace. Who were the other candidates for the job? Yeah, they were, um, well, it really came down to Ryan Pace versus Chris Ballard. Oh, no, no! What? Yep. So whereas Ryan Pace was a decade-plus scout from the New Orleans Saints, uh, Chris Ballard had spent the 2001 through 2012 seasons as a Bear scout, and then he worked as an executive in the remarkably successful Chiefs organization from 2013 through 2016. But because of his 12 years of experience in Chicago, Chris Ballard knew where the bodies were buried at Hallis Hall. That's the, the headquarters of the Bears. Sure. And Chris Ballard went to ownership. He went to the McCaskies and he said, I want to overhaul the Bears decision making structure. We're getting rid of this accountant, non-football guy, team president, Ted Phillips. But Chris Ballard also asked for more money than Ryan Pace. And look, the McCaskey family was buddy buddy with Ted Phillips. They knew that Ryan Pace wouldn't rock the boat. He was cheaper. And Chris Ballard was going to tell the McCaskies where they had gone wrong. And they didn't want to hear that. You don't want to lay your cards on the table and show ownership all the changes you want to make. You just want to nod along to their plan. And that's clearly what Ryan Pace did. This was a watershed moment. Hiring Pace over Ballard. Ballard is one of the best general managers in the league. You and I both agree with this. Pace is the direct opposite executive. This was a watershed moment, this hiring of Ryan Pace. They groom a guy for 12 years only to punt him because they're afraid of their own shadow. He was the obvious internal hire, but no, 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 no. He knew too much, actually. Yeah, he knew too much, and he was willing to say too much. Chris Ballard is a straight shooter, and he said what he was going to do. He told the McCaskies what his plan was, and that ultimately worked against him. He spent the next two years uh, staying in, in Kansas City and winning a ton of games. Meanwhile, the Bears went in abysmal 14-34 and 34 
in pace and John Fox's three years together. The Colts, by the way, are 28 and 20 in Chris Ballard's last three years as GM. Yeah. To remove John Fox, Ryan Pace wound up winning what amounted to a power struggle behind the scenes that came to light during the Bears' 2017 trade-up for Mitchell Trubisky in the draft, a move that should forever define the Ryan Pace era. And meanwhile, Ernie Accorsi, the consultant, made off with a half million dollars for, for consulting the Bears into the Pace-Fox tandem. What? Why is he making all this money? What has Ernie Accorsi done? What is on his resume to say, hey, I put together this franchise that went on to become a dynasty? No, he's just an old guy that knows a bunch of people. Jesus Christ. It all comes back to the cocoon. This cocoon in Chicago is wound so tight. They're so insulated at the top that they won't even let a 12-year veteran of the organization in. It's crazy. So let's dive into this Trubisky pick. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah, and again, it's easily the single most defining moment in recent Bears history. So it really warrants a deep dive. The Bears had the third overall pick in the 2017 draft. Miles Garrett was locked in at number one overall to the Browns. To, to move up to second overall, Ryan Pace gave the 49ers two third round picks and a fourth rounder. Oh. One of those third rounders, by the way, became... 49ers all-pro linebacker Fred Warner, uh, one of the best off-ball linebackers in the league. But Ryan Pace's defeat of John Fox in the Bears' decision-making power struggle became especially evident when Pace hid his intentions to go up for Trubisky from his head coach because John Fox didn't even learn of Ryan Pace's plan to move up for Trubisky until literally 3.30 p.m. on day one of the draft in 2017. And there was an excellent long-form report from the Chicago Tribune in 2019 by uh, Rich Campbell and Dan Wiederer. Uh, and according to that report, John Fox and then quarterbacks coach Dave Ragone had graded Deshaun Watson as their number one quarterback in that draft. Oh, no. Oh, no. Patrick Mahomes reportedly crushed his private workout with the Bears, but the Bears still viewed Patrick Mahomes is too high risk as a freewheeling gambler out of Texas Tech. Meanwhile, Pace and his scouting buddies became infatuated with Trubisky's athleticism, his square chin, his one big year at North Carolina. And per the Chicago Tribune, the Bears never so much as met with Deshaun Watson before the draft. And Ryan Pace deemed Mahomes unworthy of a top three overall pick. So he set his sights on Mitchell Trubisky. This is not hindsight bias. At the time, you and I both believed Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes were better NFL prospects because, because when you model out all the data points, quarterbacks must produce prolific and efficiently at the college level for two-plus years. Multiple seasons of production is critical to increase the probabilities of of quarterback success. Now, surely there are exceptions. Josh Allen was never efficient at Wyoming, but when you're playing the probabilities, you're better off with a quarterback like a Watson or like a Mahomes that was productive for consecutive seasons at the college level. It was a glaring red flag that Mitchell Trubisky was only good for one season, and then he couldn't supplant Marquise Williams, who... Couldn't even make it in what the AAF was he even good in the AAF. 
No, he couldn't even start in the AAF. Ah, ah, Trubisky! And also, Mitchell Trubisky was, you know, a highly regarded high school recruit in Ohio, one of the best football states in all of America, and Ohio State didn't even want him. And then he goes to North Carolina, can't start over Marquise Williams for two years. It's crazy. So Pace won this power struggle against Fox. He whiffs on Trubisky, who Fox didn't want, but to be so bad at the acquisition of talent as Pace has been over the last half decade for the Bears. Where else has this guy missed? Because you can see the team is just leaking talent. Right. Where else has he gone wrong? But we can spin it back to the 2015 draft, which was Ryan Pace's first ever draft. And his first ever first round pick was the great Kevin White, the wide receiver from West Virginia. Oh. Kevin White has 25 career catches and zero career touchdowns. Ryan Pace's second first-round pick was Leonard Floyd in 2016. Leonard Floyd was an edge player out of Georgia who averaged 4.6 sacks per season across four years in Chicago. He now plays for the Rams. Pace's third first-rounder was Trubisky, who now is the backup for Josh Allen in Buffalo. And Ryan Pace's fourth first-rounder was off-ball linebacker Rokon Smith, who had a nice year last year, but plays a devalued position. And Ryan Pace took him eighth overall. The Bears traded away their first-rounders in 2019 and 2020. Yeah, they traded away their 2019 pick and their 2020 pick for the rights to overpay Khalil Mack. Correct. There's also some fun irony here in that the Bears, had they drafted Fred Warner with the pick they traded to San Francisco, they would not have been incentivized to draft Roquan Smith. Exactly. They wouldn't have been compelled to draft the off-ball linebacker in the top 10. And they drafted Kevin White in the top 10 as well. I can't believe that Ryan Pace's tenure stretches all the way back to Kevin White, where he was such a glaring bust risk, having only produced in his final year at West Virginia in an air raid offense. Just like we talked about with the modeling of quarterback, shows you you want consecutive productive and efficient seasons when you're modeling wide receivers age-adjusted college production is the most important metric and it was the one thing that Kevin White did not have at all he was simply athletic was not polished only played on one side of the formation in college exactly and had no hope of breaking through in the NFL unless he made this leap from prospect to pro that very few wide receivers are capable of. This should have been clear throughout the process and that Ryan Pace missed this was the early signs that he was focusing on the wrong details. And you have to remember, and to keep this all in context, you know, Ryan Pace's background is strictly in scouting, player scouting. You know, a a lot of GMs around the league have, you know, multiple skill sets. Ryan Pace does not. Ryan Pace is strictly a scout. He's not a cap guy. He's not a business guy at all. So theoretically, he should be dominating in his one area of theoretical expertise. Yet Ryan Pace has a 250 batting average at best, scouting first round picks in Chicago, many of of, of which, you know, have I mean, these guys have all been drafted really early. I mean, they're all, you know, top 12 picks, all, all four of them. And it's especially telling, I think, that the Saints, Pace's former organization, didn't hit their scouting stride until after Ryan Pace was gone. The Saints have been exponentially more successful with Jeff Ireland running their scouting department in the past six years, at which point he took over for Ryan Pace. That is such a glaring indictment 
right there. Jeff Ireland, the former Miami Dolphins general manager Jeff Ireland, just dominating Ryan Pace. And one of the telltale signs of poor talent management is a below average number of compensatory picks per year and more trade-ups than trade-downs. Isn't Ryan Pace a serial trade-upper, not a trade-downer? Oh, yes. Absolutely. That's that's uh, one of his calling cards. He loves to trade up. He doesn't seem to understand how the compensatory pick system works. I looked back through the draft since Ryan Pace took over. I could only find three compensatory picks. Is that right? Is That, that can't be right. Yes, he uh, Ryan Pace collected zero compensatory picks in years 2015 through 2018. Uh, he did acquire one finally in 2019 and then he acquired i believe two six rounders in 2020 oh he's figuring it out evan he's figuring it out look at him this blind squirrel finally figuring out how to get a compensatory pick in the sixth and seventh round no i think that he just got the compensatory picks by accident yeah right he just stumbled into it he's a blind squirrel will find a nut eventually but it's a riddle how you could have more instances of trading up in the draft than compensatory picks received during your tenure as general manager. Like, that's a goddamn riddle, man. So you'd think Ryan Pace would relish the opportunity to make draft picks as this, in quotes, theoretically scouting-savvy general manager. You would think they'd be comfortable just taking the value as it comes to you in the draft, but no, 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 no. I think that the problem with Ryan Pace is, and that's the problem that Dave Gettleman has and others, is that they love the smell of their own farts so much that they think that they are better at picking than not only most human beings, but every other general manager in the NFL. So they're happy to let go of players later in the draft to get up to get their guy how have these trade-ups these infamous trade-ups by ryan pace worked out yeah you would think that ryan pace and you know guys that really believe in their own scouting acumen would actually want to acquire more picks yeah so that you know so that just gives them more opportunities to show off it gives them more opportunities to show off their you know their their skill set sure but that's the total opposite of what they do and ryan pace in particular gotta get their guy a generational miss on, on Mitchell Trubisky. I've talked to Bears beat writers. They estimate at how many years that move set back the Bears, seven to eight. Oh. You know, and, and, and that might be kind. Oh. In 2015, Ryan Pace traded Brandon Marshall away for a fifth-round pick. That's right. That same year, Brandon Marshall caught 109 balls for 1,502 yards and a league-high 14 touchdowns for the Jets. In 2016, Ryan Pace sent a fourth-round pick to Tampa Bay to move up two spots for Leonard Floyd, again, no longer with the Bears, to draft Leonard Floyd over Laramie Tunsil, Taylor Decker, Sheldon Rankins, Ryan Kelly, you know, all all studs at positions of needs. Going through the Bears drafts, precious few offensive linemen in the first round, which is another telltale sign of incompetence. Yep. In 2018, Ryan Pace sent a second-round pick and a fourth-rounder to the Patriots to draft slot receiver Anthony Miller, 51st overall. And Miller has been, you know, a sporadic playmaker for the Bears. But he fell down the depth chart last year, and ownership is now desperate to trade him. Uh, Later in 2018, 
Ryan Pace sent what amounted to two first-round picks and a third-rounder to the Raiders for Khalil Mack and a 2020 second-rounder, which became tight end Cole Komet. All in all, I'd consider this one actually a win for Pace, although it was close. And actually, uh, the uh, Sloan Sports uh, Analytics uh, uh conference graded this as the the trade of the year for the Raiders who were on the opposite end of that move yeah because Khalil Mack was coming off his rookie deal man that's when you want to put these guys on the block and see if someone's willing to overpay again the parallels between the Bears and the Texans are striking the Texans did the same move giving up two first rounders for Laramie Tunsil and the Dolphins have already been using that first round pick as a chess piece to acquire yet even more picks and the trade only looks good in hindsight for Pace anyway because Oakland drafted Damon Arnett and Josh Jacobs with the first-round picks they acquired. Bailed out the hindsight optics of this trade. I mean, if you made Josh Jacobs Montez Sweat, who was the consensus best available pick who went right after that, and you made Damon Arnett Justin Jefferson, and by the way, the Raiders could have had Werfs Jefferson, but instead they drafted Ruggs Arnett. Whoops! Right. There's a general manager that may be worse than Ryan Pace. There's one in the league. I'm I'm a Mayock guy, so I'm going to attribute these moves to John Gruden, who really controls the, the Raiders organization, and use those first-round picks on a two-down running back who's always hurt in Josh Jacobs and a 4-6 corner who, I mean, like how are you supposed to run with 4-3 and 4-4 four, four wide receivers when you run 4-6 at cornerback? That 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 never made any sense. He Damon Arnett was a good player in college, and he's the perfect example of a player that is not going to be successful in the pros. When the Damon Arnett pick came in, the analysts on the draft broadcast had to flip through their papers to find him, and that's a dead giveaway that it was a reach. But had the Raiders just selected Sweat and Jefferson, then in hindsight, the trade would have looked balanced, right? Because they they did get a great player in Khalil Mack but that's the thing is when you do that trade you can at best break even you have to pay him a lot of money and you break even if Khalil Mack busts and you lose those draft picks and those draft picks become Sweat and Jefferson that's how GMs get fired and to get back to players for which the Bears have surrendered future draft picks there's more there's more trade-ups the Bears traded up in 2019 to draft David Montgomery in the third round and then in 2020, the Bears sent a fourth-round pick to Jacksonville for Nick Foles, who was obviously going to get cut. And, and Nick Foles went on to get outplayed by Mitchell Trubisky. Dude, fourth-round picks are valuable. What are you doing? You can't just throw fourth-round picks in the garbage can for Nick Foles as if they're worthless, as if they're packaging. It's not just plastic wrap. A fourth-rounder has real value, man. And the Bears are still pay, paying Nick Foles, their backup to Andy Dalton, a sizable salary while Mitchell Trubisky is costing the, the Bills $2.5 million to back up Josh Allen. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is You couldn't make this up, man. So he can't scout college prospects. I get it. What about free agents? Is he at least having some luck with free agents? I mean, Allen Robinson, I know that was a good one, right? So in 2015, Ryan Pace's first year as GM, he signed edge rusher Pernell McPhee, safety intro role, and slot receiver Eddie Royal to expensive multi-year deals. Oh, that's right. McPhee contributed 14 sacks in three seasons, uh, banking over $23 million, and then was cut. Intro role played seven games for the Bears, then retired. And Eddie Royal was paid $10 million to score four touchdowns in 18 games. 
for the Bears. The next year, 2016, was easily Ryan Pace's best offseason in, in free agency. He signed Danny Trevathan and Jarrell Freeman, Akeem Hicks, right tackle Bobby Massey. They were all legitimate contributors uh, to the Bears' uh, ensuing 12 and 4 season. Had a good year. Yeah, hey man, he had a good, that was a good offseason. I give Pace credit for that. That was a good job. Yeah. Again, we're, but we're looking at a six-year sample size now. Oh, yeah. And the following year, Ryan Pace completely erased that progress with a disastrous 2017 free agent class, low-lighted by Mike the Goose Glennon, no who collected $16 million to make four unwatchable starts and was cut after the season. Marcus Wheaton, the great Marcus Wheaton, took home $6 million to catch three of 17 targets for 51 scoreless yards in his lone season with the Bears. Tight end Deion Sims, safety Quinton Demps, and cornerback Marcus Cooper all signed in that free agent class, all now out of the league. This was legitimately one of the worst free agent classes in NFL history. So any equity that Ryan Pace may have built with that strong 2016 free agent class evaporated with the 2017 class. I forgot about Mike Glennon. The list of punchline quarterbacks that Ryan Pace has signed, all they need to do is go get Blake Bortles and they will have a full house. Thereafter, from 2018 through 2020, Ryan Pace gave the withering corpse of Jimmy Graham a ridiculous top eight tight end contract. Oh, yeah. And previously, uh, the year before that, Trey Burton at the same position gave him a failed four-year $32 million contract. What? He paid Trey Burton $32 million? Four-year, $32 million. Yes. What? Ryan Pace signed the double-doink kicker Cody Parkey, the Swiss cheese slot corner Buster Screen, and the 35-year-old husk of Ted Ginn. Last offseason, Ryan Pace signed pass rusher, former pass rusher, Robert Quinn, to a a five-year, $70 million deal with $30 million guaranteed. Robert Quinn had two sacks in 15 games for the 2020 Bears. We're fantasy gamers. We don't follow defensive players that closely, but even I knew Robert Quinn was near the end. $30 million guaranteed? Guy's in his 30s. What? What? And as you mentioned, look, Ryan Pace does deserve credit for signing Allen Robinson, and Prince Amukamara also was a good signing along the way. Yep. But Pace still hasn't reached a long-term deal with Robinson, who's had to franchise tag now twice in in two years in a row, and Amukamara is no longer on the team. So how much credit does he really deserve for that? And Allen Robinson's been great, but he has been squandered. When you look at just last year, the plays where Allen Robinson was targeted, where he had three-plus yards of separation, he only averaged 11.2 yards per target with only 8.4 air yards per target. So there's some combination of, of suboptimal route design and the quarterback inaccuracy. When your quarterbacks are Mike Glennon, Nick Foles, and now soon-to-be Andy Dalton, Poor Allen Robinson, and he can't escape. They franchise tag him twice. That's a, such a coward move to franchise tag the same player two consecutive years. I feel so bad for Allen Robinson, man. And I'd suggest attributing those failures to Ryan Pace because he's the guy who drafted Mitchell Trubisky. He's the guy who signed Mike the Goose Glennon. He's the guy who signed Andy Dalton. And he's the guy who uh, acquired Nick Foles from the Jaguars. The funniest thing of all was the the lighting of the fourth rounder on fire for no reason whatsoever that he was going to get cut. (laughs) So since Matt Nagy took over, 
they did have a winning record, right? I mean, they had they had that they had a good year once, right? He was coach of the year, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, the and the Bears went twelve and four in twenty eighteen. That was Matt Nagy's first year in Chicago. Matt Nagy was actually named NFL Coach of the Year by the Associated Press that year, and Ryan Pace was named NFL Executive of the Year by the Sporting News. Khalil Mack trade. 2018 was also a year where the Bears faced the NFL's second softest schedule based on DVOA ratings, and they had the extremely good fortune of being the third healthiest team, according to Football Outsiders Injury Index. 2018 was also the Bears' final year with Vic Fangio, who, in my opinion, is one of the most talent-maximizing defensive minds in all the NFL. He became the Broncos head coach after that season. The 2018 Bears season ended in the wild card round. They lost 16-15 to to the Eagles on a missed, quote-unquote missed, 43-yard field goal by Cody Parkey, whose kick infamously double-doinked off the left upright and crossbar. That's the right. kick was actually, upon video review, deflected by Eagles defensive lineman Trayvon Hester, though. And Mitchell Trubisky played horribly in that game. And yet the Bears let Cody Parkey bear the brunt of the blame for that loss. Hey, 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 the irony of it being deflected by a Hester. Think about that, Bears fans. I, I hadn't thought of that. But... Okay. <laughs> the, the Bears following offseason suggested that they truly believed that they had arrived. That Cody Parkey was the problem. They thought they were a kicker away. They cut Cody Parkey. And then they spent the spring and the summer grandstanding about the fucking kicker position. They invited 10 place kickers to their May mini camp. They wound up cutting all of them. And they lined up three different kickers to try 43-yard field goals reflective of Cody Parkey's miss slash block at their first practice of minicamp that same June. What a bunch of assholes. All three of the kickers missed their 43-yard attempts. Oh, but but it's, it's that sort of hubris and internal overestimation of talent on their own roster, inability to evaluate their own roster that has haunted the Bears ever since. They thought Trubisky was better than he was. Then they thought they could win with Nick fucking Foles because of his familiarity with Matt Nagy's system. They thought they could keep status quo defensively without Vic Fangio, and they couldn't. They thought they could pinpoint studs in the draft and trade up for them, surrendering future draft picks to do so. They thought they could scapegoat a kicker for their playoff failings. And they were proven wrong on all counts. They tried to pin it all on the kicker. It's just so shameful. Cody Parkey must hate the Bears. Hate them. Everyone's kicking 43-yard field goals. <laughs> Stop it. Now, Matt Nagy, not a genius coach, but coaches can only get so far with a talent-deficient roster. The Bears were top half in the league in play-action pass rate last season. And they were top half in game-neutral pass-to-run ratio. They were top half in the league in no-huddle offense rate. And three of the four times they faced a fourth-and-one within 50 yards of scoring, they went for it. And they have an above-average pass rate on first downs in neutral game situations. So for the metrics that we look at where coaching matters, it appears Matt Nagy is at least above average. Would you agree with that? 
yes, I would consider him an average to above average coach who was um, had a, a quarterback thrust upon him in Mitchell Trubisky, who he did he didn't he never believed in him, uh, and then took his shot on Nick Foles, with whom you know who had had success in a similar system. Uh, Matt Nagy spent time with Nick Foles in Kansas City. He played you know in the Eagles system, which is theoretically similar to Matt Nagy's offense. And yet, and, and that just didn't work out. The coach's belief in the system familiarity will be an Achilles heel for most coaches most of the time, for the rest of time. True. Where do we go from here? The Bears or us? The Bears. I mean, we, we have bright futures, you and I, Matt Kelly. But the Bears, as we speak, are a, in a worst-case scenario for any organization they are in they're firmly in quarterback purgatory with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles sitting atop the depth chart a defense that has carried them for a half decade is trending downward they were so poor with business decisions again Ryan Pace is a theoretically a scout he's not a business guy at all so poor with businesses he, he was forced to cut Kyle Fuller their best cornerback oh. this offseason there aren't enough playmakers on offense and their once vaunted secondary is now unimposing. The offensive line is well below average. Ryan Pace can no longer afford to operate with the Bears' best long-term interests in mind. Pace and Matt Nagy at this point are just trying to preserve their jobs. This is Texans 2.0. But unlike the Texans where they had this one guy, the coach general manager cartoon character in Bill O'Brien, here we have two individuals in distinct roles where you have Ryan Pace picking the groceries, you have Matt Nagy calling the plays, and my takeaway is that Ryan Pace is the problem. I think as you lay this out, it's clear, Ryan Pace, he's the problem. If you're Matt Nagy, you're in a boat race and your boat has a leak, you're not going to win. And the leak is Ryan Pace. How is Ryan Pace going to ruin this year's draft? They have pick 20. How are they going to waste this pick? Ryan Pace is a poster child for hubris among NFL decision makers. He, you know, has signed himself off as, as a, a trader upper, whereas Matt Nagy, at least in the second half of last year, was willing to look outside himself and cede play calling duties to Bill Lazor. Great point. Like the teams we have shown the light on, and we've seen all the cockroaches and all the rats scurrying when mm -hmm. the bright light gets shown from Roto Underworld Radio with Evan Silva on these flailing franchises that are giving way too much credit, especially by big media, this thing's going down. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that Matt Nagy can find a head coaching job elsewhere. If Adam Gase can do it, Matt Nagy can do it. With the 20th overall pick in the NFL draft, you believe the Bears should select Rashad Bateman because that's on your mock draft 1.0 on Establish the Run. Go to Establish the Run, check out Evans... Mock Draft 1.0, it dropped on April 12th. Mm -hmm. There's some incredible insights in here. He believes, as I do, that the Bears should draft Rashad Bateman. So if you think back to mistakes of the past from Ryan Pace, I think the way they blow this pick is they go wide receiver, but instead of taking Bateman, they draft Kadarius Toney. Well, their actions in free agency suggest that they are interested in upgrading or at least addressing the wide receiver position because they went after Kenny Galladay whiffed. They've been trying to trade Anthony Miller. And if they do do that, I mean, they're definitely going to need another receiver. They did just add Marquise Goodwin, 
but he's never been a player that could stay healthy, you know, spends time, you know, training for the Olympics. They have Darnell Mooney. They don't need Marquise Good. What are they doing? It's redundant. Right. They've they've got Allen Robinson on a, a you know a fringy franchise tag, his second franchise tag in a row. They've got Darnell Mooney. They absolutely need another wide receiver. I think they're going to take one early in the draft. Maybe it won't be in the first round, but I I think that they they I think if you were going to pinpoint one position that the Bears might target in the first round based on their action to this point in the offseason, it would be wide receiver. I think it would be hilarious if they use that pick on Kadarius Toney. They should use it on Rashad Bateman if that's their plan. They could drive to Minnesota to watch him play, but no, they're going to go Kadarius Toney. He looks like Tavon Austin, who played with Kevin White at West Virginia. So the parallels continue. You have an athletic wide receiver, 96th percentile burst score, similar to Kevin White, and also similar to Kevin White, he broke out as a senior. It's too perfect. Just hitting all the Ryan Pace notes, Kadarius Tony. Trubisky, another one-year wonder. Yes, give him one year. Pace is sold. There is one silver lining. Mm -hmm. What is that silver lining? Get this, Matt Kelly, and you know I hope that you're sitting down when I tell you. Strapped in, baby. This past March, I hope you have a seatbelt on. This past March, on March 11th, the Bears signed Cairo Santos to a three-year, $9 million deal. They finally got the fucking kicker. They finally got the fucking kicker. Bam! I can't remember a show we've done where you had more information at your disposal. You must have talked to a number of beat writers. Who was the most helpful among the beat writers? You know, to go behind the scenes a little bit, I kept pushing back the date with Matt Kelly. Matt Kelly's like, we get a hard, you know, hard stop on, you know, (laughs) two weeks ago at 11 a.m. But, you know, I kept pushing it back because I want to talk to a number of people about this. And so to prep for this podcast, I talked to uh, several individuals that uh, were affiliated with the Bears and inside the league, especially about the Ernie Corsi stuff. Uh, I read a bunch of newspaper articles from the Tribune, the Southern Times, etc. But I specifically wanted to shout out and cite and thank Dan Durkin, who has written for The Athletic, and he's been a Bears beat reporter and radio analyst for 670 to score and ESPN Chicago. Dan does incredible work. He's one of my uh, most trusted buddies, and um, when it comes, especially when it comes to Bears coverage, he provided a ton of information to help this show happen. So I just want to shout him out. Look him up. He's also excellent, not just in the information game, but also in terms of X's and O's. Dan Durkin, one of the the biggest contributors to this show. That's a wrap.
it all comes back to the cocoon. 